0: Aren't, don't you love the Lord this morning? Isn't God wonderful? God's a wonderful God. He's a good, he's a friend. The Bible said he's our friend. Amen. And it's a wonderful thing to know the Lord in that capacity, in that fashion. Uh, We are going to ultimately be studying a very interesting passage of scripture that's found in the Gospels. And it is called or referred to sometime as the Olivet dissertation or Jesus's Mount of Olives discourse and it is about what Jesus told his disciples just before he was to be tried and executed in fact the lord had come to the end of his earthly ministry and was sort of wrapping everything up and there is a prophecy that he gives forth this in Matthew chapter 24 it's in Mark 13, it's in Luke 21. These chapters record that. Each one records it in a little bit in their own way, but it's basically the same prophecy that Jesus gave when they were with him on the Mount of Olives. And uh, I'm going to give you today, I'm going to give you one somewhat of a forerunner to that, because I want you to understand here something about the Lord and the time and the days in which we are living, praise the Lord. Uh, Jesus came as we have been studying this past month in all of our ser- uh, services about Jesus coming as a babe born in a manger. And this was God, almighty man, manifest in flesh. You know, Isaiah 9, 6, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. His name, Jesus, his name should be called the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And the Prince of Peace, we know that Jesus was called the Prince of Peace, but he was also the mighty God, he was also the everlasting Father. All of it was in Jesus Christ, the fullness of the Godhead was in Christ, uh, reconciling the world unto himself, praise God. Uh, as the man, the man Christ Jesus that was, saw, and that suffered, and so forth, God cannot die, so God did not die on Calvary, it was the man Christ Jesus that died, But when Jesus was on earth, he was both God and man. He was both. And it was different manifestation. You say, well, how can that be, Brother Mike? Well, God can do anything any way he wants to do it. And he manifests himself different ways. So he made himself known. Now, i want to talk to you a little bit here today about the things that this meant to Israel especially, and, and eventually to the whole world. And that is that when God came to this world, he came to this world to visit man because of the sins of man and that his willingness to forgive them of their sins and to wipe their sins all away, praise the Lord. And that's called the grace of God. I want you to turn with me in the uh, scriptures of Hebrews 2.6, if you would. And uh, it's a very simple verse of scripture, Hebrews two six. It says, but... And one in a certain place, and I'll refer to that in a moment as found over in the book of Psalms, but one in a certain place testified saying, what is man that thou art mindful of him? What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Notice the word visitest. It did not say visited past tense. It does not just say visit. Visit. But man that visiteth, which means an ongoing visitation. Ongoing. God from time to time will visit man. And whenever he does, it is an opportunity either to get right or it's an oppor- or, it, or if, if not gotten right, there is time for judgment to come. And so and this scripture here says, what is man that thou art mindful of him, the sort of man that thou thou visitest him that uh, scripture is taken out of psalms almost verbatim and it says in psalms eight three of eight four rather what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him the same word used in the very same way and uh, he goes on here to talk about how god is so great if we were to read the third verse In Psalms 8, it would say, When I consider thy heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon, the stars, which thou hast ordained, then he says, What is man? So he's saying here, With all of your greatness, you have considered to be mindful of man. Now, there were times on the face of the earth when God would come down and he would visit. He would visit. Now, God doesn't have to do that. He sees everything. He knows everything from heaven above. And he is everywhere. Now, don't try to figure it all out. That's God. God is everywhere. But he is in heaven above. Heaven is his throne. Earth is his footstool, as he has said. But God uses the terms that we understand. We understand. Now, I want you to go with me, if you would, for a moment over here to Genesis. I'm going to have you look with me in Genesis chapter 18. Because this is when God came and visited Noah, I'm, I'm sorry, not Noah. Uh, Abraham, Abraham, and the Bible says in eighteen one, and the Lord appeared unto him, Abraham, in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in a tent door in the heat of the day. And he goes on to say how that as he was sitting there, three men walked up, and he entertained them. And as he was entertaining them, he realized that one of these three men was God in angelic form, and the other were two angels. And finally, it, went on to, it goes on to say here that in verse 20, it says, And the Lord said, Behold, the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and became, because their sins is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come in unto me, and if not, I will know. Now, not that if God doesn't know if he doesn't do it, but it's his language that he uses for man. And he's telling Abraham this, I've come down to visit Sodom and Gomorrah because it's time for their visitation. It's time for them to be visited. Now, in the next few verses here, it goes on to say that while he was talking to him, uh, verse 16, for instance, the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom and Abraham went with them and bring Short season. So from there on, these other two angels that were with God went on to Sodom and Gomorrah, while uh, Abraham talked with God and really pleaded with God not to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because Abraham knew it was a wicked place. And he said, if God comes down here and visits them, there's no way they're gonna get out of this. But because his nephew Lot and his family was there, Abraham really tried to bargain with God. God, if there's only, he bargained right on down to 50. If there's there's just 50, 40, 30, finally he said 10. There's 10 righteous people in that place. Will you spare it? And he said, yes, I will if there's 10 righteous. But apparently there was not 10. Now the scripture goes on to talk here. Let me just show you this. Uh, These two angels, nice looking young men, I know we saw in the picture here where it showed an angel with no ears and a streak of hair down his back and wings. You know, angels don't have wings. Uh, the, the cherubims had wings, as we saw, in the, and their wings touched them and everything. And that was the vision that Ezekiel had. But when they appeared unto man, they were just men walking, just men. Well, these were two young men that walked into Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot saw them and said, hey, you guys are strangers here. This is not a safe place. Come go home with me. And he brought him to his house. Well, by the time he got in his house and they had spent the evening together and uh, they were talking, there came knocks at the door. And here's what happened in the fourth verse of this chapter. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, come past the house around uh, both old and young uh, I'm in the 19th chapter here. I'm sorry, I, it, I was in the 18th chapter. Now the 19th chapter of Genesis. And verse uh, four, the men of Sodom compassed the house round about, old and, old, old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto the Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. Now that phrase that we may know them means that they may have sexual encounters with them and that's what that's all about and uh and go anyhow uh, lot desperately tried to reason with them go away uh, don't bother these men they're strangers in the town blah 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 <clears throat> finally they wouldn't they would not go away finally in verse 10 But the men, that is the two angels, put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut to the door. Verse 11, excuse me. (coughs) And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wear themselves to find the door. And so they were made blind there. And then it goes on to say what happened here finally when the angels saw that, and it was obvious that it was very sinful, he told Lot and his family, get out of the city, brought them out, brought them outside the city. And when they were outside the city, here's what happened in verse 24, then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities, and that which grew upon the ground. So there were five cities of the plain. The Lord decided to spare one of them, the, the smallest of the five, which was called Zora, because Lot said, let us let us go there in that little town and just stay there. Uh, he really didn't think it was going to be all that bad. And when God rained down fire, then Lot said, let's get out of Zori, even I want to get out of here and go to the mountains, get out of this place. And the reason God did it was because the city of Sodom, Gomorrah, And all those cities were given over totally to homosexuality. I'm just speaking very plain here today. They were, they were, they were, this is where the word sodomy comes from, sodomites, they were uh, the the land of Sodom. And so this is a condemnation that God has pronounced in the Bible. All through the Bible, there is multiple verses of scripture where it talks about this sin of sodomy. And, excuse me, it talks about how that, in different places, in different uh, areas of the Old Testament, the Lord talks about it. In Romans, let me give you an example here. In Romans chapter 1, verse 24, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. He's talking about past times now. Whenever people would go astray from God and move away from God. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Jumping to verse 26, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Verse 27, likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And then finally, in verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So what I'm pointing out to you here is that this is called the sin of Sodom. I uh, received a social, social security statement. I receive my social security check every month, which I give to missions, incidentally. That's my, uh, one of the things I do. But anyhow, they said, that, you know, you get a little pay boost. I don't know. Well, I don't even know how many dollars, a few dollars, a few bucks every year. They give you a little few extra ones. And in the course of all the information, it says there's one statement in there I've never seen before. Maybe it was there and I just never saw it before. But it says we recognize same-sex marriages. We, we recognize same-sex marriage in the Social Security thing. And that was interesting to me. And I'm realizing that more and more America is getting where we're getting into this sin that the Lord said, I will go and and look upon this. I know a lot of people don't like you to talk about this, but I'm telling you folks that this is a sin that's creeping into America very strongly. And they, they want to ride herd on anyone who speaks out against it or wants to quote scripture about it. Now, what I've done is I've quoted you uh, just a few scriptures. Leviticus 18.22 talks about homosexuality. Leviticus 20.13 talks about it. Deuteronomy 23.17 talks about it. This is under the law. It talks about a man shall not lie with a man as a man lies with a woman and it's got other statements and so forth. But it's all about the sin and the, and the Bible calls it an abomination to God. An abomination. Now, I'm telling you all of that because these sins... They're coming upon the world more and more. Uh, I was in the city of Pompeii, Italy, uh, a number of years ago. And I remember that we were being toured by a guide, a woman guide who toured us. We had a group of people, probably 15 of us. And we were walking through the old ancient city of Pompeii. And uh, you could see the layout of the city. And it was covered by ashes. You know, everybody in there died instantly. The Mount Vesuvius blew its Top and spewed all the ash and all the ashes over and just and just covered the city and and killed everybody instantly. and whatever acts they were in, whatever activities they were in, this is interesting. And anyhow, while we were standing there in the road in the cobblestone that was had been there way back there for two thousand years, she didn't even look down. She said, "If you look down, you will see a sign." of homosexuality in this city. And I looked down and I said, oh my God, there it is carved in stone. She said, it's been there over 2,000 years. Been there over 2,000 years. This is a, a witness that this was the sin of the city. And God just destroyed it. God said, you know what, it's enough. Now, why are you saying all this, Brother Myers? I'm saying that sin, whatever it is, whatever it is, God will deal with it. God will deal with sin. And I'm gonna talk to you more about this as we get into these things because Jesus describes it all. But he talks about, first of all, his visitation. His visitation. Because God visits, if I can use that term, he visits a place to say, okay, is this place ready for judgment? And I'm telling you that because I fear for America. I fear for where we're headed and what I'm seeing. I fear for what we're seeing in the world. And uh, I just got through looking at a, a series of uh, World War II, World War II uh, battles. They were films taken from both sides, from Germany's side, from Italy's side, from America's side, England's side, and put together somewhat on Japan's side, so forth. They would show one part, another part, how the, the, side was fighting this battle. And it was so pathetic, it was so sad, it was so, it was so uh, horrible. I mean, how could you imagine people killing so many people? I mean, sometimes innocent, just innocent uh, civilians that had nothing in their hands. They just slaughtered so many of them. Uh, I won't even go into detail, but, but to, uh, upward to 80 million people, 80 million people died in World War II. And I got through looking, every time I got through looking at a series of that, it was about eight, eight, about eight series. Each one of them was about an hour long. Each time I got through with it, I just sit there and I said, oh God, how terrible that the world has been. And then when I watched the last series and I saw the dropping of the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Hiroshima as they now call it, I think. Hiroshima is what they called it then. And then Nagasaki, those two cities in Japan, and that completely, completely devastated every person and every Thing in those two cities and the power of just one bomb and what it did I said Oh my god, this is what we are stockpiled with right now This is what Russia's got. This is what America's got. This is what england has got. This is what France has got This is what Israel's got. This is what? Uh, I, uh, Iran is working on getting they're hoping to get it. This is what North Korea says they have You know, it's becoming a dangerous world to live in. And I'm thinking, Lord, you know, I know that some things are going to happen. And then when I start reading the book of Revelation, I I say to myself, God, there are some terrible things coming on the earth. But I will tell you this, that if you're a child of God and you walk with the Lord and you serve God and you're faithful to him, God will take care of his own and the rapture will precede that great tribulation period that's coming on the face of the earth. It will. It will. I can show, show you scripture. I had a woman that's been, used to call me all the time, write me letters, letters there, wanting to know when. I mean, she wanted big blown a, a year worth of Bible studies, you know, like right now and everything. And uh, she may be watching it on the internet, because she doesn't live here now. She lives, uh, she's a military lady, military in the military. And uh, I've sent her a few pa- you know, pages and things here and there. But she's concerned because she knows a lot of things in the military world. And she's thinking, where, is, where are we in all of this? And when is it going to happen? And how is it going to happen? And is the Lord coming back before that? But there are some people who say it'll come back in the middle of the tribulation. Somebody said in the end of the tribulation, and all that kind of stuff, you know. But the Bible in the, Old, in the New Testament lets us know that the next major event to take place is the coming of the Lord. And the Lord now, that has been put off now, not put off. It has continued on now for 2000 years. And I've got a lot of other interesting things to give you along the way too. But let me just say this here today, that God does visit, visit. And whenever he came to this world, he visited Israel. He visited Israel. Now, I'm going to give you a prophecy concerning that. Look in uh, Jeremiah 8.5, if you would, for a moment. Jeremiah 8.5. And uh, it says, why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by perpetual backsliding? They hold fast deceit. They refuse to return. And then in verse 12, Jeremiah 8.12. Were they ashamed when they had committed abominations? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. It's talking about Israel now, Jerusalem, because in verse 5 it says the people of Jerusalem. Were they ashamed? Nay, they were not all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore shall they fall among them that fall in the time of their visitation. Their visitation. They shall be cast down, saith the Lord. And then over in the 10th chapter of Jeremiah, just two chapters over, <clears throat> in verse 1, it speaks again who we're talking about here. Hear ye the words which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. And then finally, verse 15, he says pretty well the same thing. And they are vanity and the work of errors. In the time of their visitation, they shall perish. So what we're looking at here is the Lord saying, I am going to visit Israel one day. And I'm going to see about their sins. And it's a prophecy from, both, from Jeremiah about what God would do. Now I'm going to move on a little further into Isaiah. Isaiah spoke, talks about the visitation from God to Israel. This is, uh, this is Isaiah 10. And I'm going to read verse 1 going down to verse 3. Verse 1 starts out by saying, woe. Take note of that. W-O-E. Woe. Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees and I won't read the rest of it but it goes on to say that they turn they turn aside the needy and and they they don't judge the poor and the fatherless and the widows and they mistreat them and so forth finally verse three and what will you do in the day of visitation and in the desolation which shall come from far to whom will you flee for help when you are visited so I'm just pointing out here that the Lord prophesied that they would be visited. Praise God. They would be visited. Now, I'm going to jump real quickly here to uh, Matthew for a moment. Look over in Matthew chapter 23. Because Matthew 24 is where we're going to ultimately go and we're going to spend some time there studying prophecy in that sense of the word. Look at verse look at Verse 36. He says, verily, this is 36 of 23. This is Matthew 23, 36. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. And he just described some things. I'll come back to those things in a moment. Verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thee, thy children together, even as a, as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Ye would not. When God wanted to love you and pull you in close and protect you and heal you and save you from what was coming down the pike and turn you away from the direction you're going, you would not. You just wouldn't hear. You didn't want to hear anything. And then he says here, verse 38, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And that's the results of them not wanting to hear what God had to say to them about the sins and their sins and transgressions. Now, Luke speaks of it as well. I'm looking here at Luke nineteen forty-one. Look at this very closely here. This again is Luke's uh, describing Jesus here weeping over Jerusalem. Verse 41, and when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Jesus looking at Jerusalem. Saying, if thou hadst known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace. This is when Jesus came. He came to bring them peace and salvation and his glory and his goodness and his power, everything. When I came to bring you all of this. He said, this "This, thy peace, if thou had known the day of that, uh, that's, that's the things which belong to thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. It's amazing how things become, we become blind to things. In other words, everything's okay. Everything's all right. It's all right. It's all right, all right. I'll be honest with you here. I've been a little bit disturbed by the Santa Claus stuff. You know, I, I see, uh, I see manger scenes around town. That's wonderful. I got one in my yard, but along with it, they got a manger scene. Then they got a big Santa Claus next to it, you know, and it's all about the fictitious story of Santa Claus, which is a really a replacement of the manger scene because that's what the children want to see. And we give them what the kids want. And the whole lie, I've seen some of these films on, on TV, these Christmas films, you know, they're, they're clean. They don't do a lot of swearing, cursing, fighting, killing and all that stuff, but they're clean. But it's goofy. You know, it's all about Santa Claus, how real he is. I mean, some of them make him so real and, and adults, oh, they don't believe in Santa Claus, you know. But the children believe in him and they find out he's really real. I mean, how retarded, is, that is the biggest lie in the world. I'm serious, folks. And I've become a little bit concerned about it. And I would see houses I've like, driven around and my wife and I went out one evening and looked, drilled around and I'd see the manger scene. I said, God bless these people. They got a manger scene. They're Christians, but they got a big Santa Claus there. You know, they got, you know, the, going down the chimney or whatever it is. Don't leave that part out. So I guess I'm just being uh, Pat Bishop Myers here. <laughs> Bishop Myers here on you. Let me go ahead and finish reading here. Get back to the text, right? But now they're hid from thine eyes. Look at verse 43. For the days shall come upon thee. This is Jesus talking about Jerusalem as he looked upon Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, looking over into the city. For the days shall come upon thee that, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side. And shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. The Lord had come and the Lord had visited them. And they didn't didn't know it. They didn't pick up on it. They didn't want to believe this was God manifest in flesh. You know. And so it became a thing that they missed out on. I'm going to go back to Matthew here a moment. I want you to look with me here, and I want to show you how Jesus dealt with these things. When Jesus had taught and taught and taught, if you, if you were to start about chapter 20, I think it is, 19 or 20, 21 maybe, Jesus went into, into the temple, uh, temple compound there in Jerusalem, and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the priesthood, they all came at him with arguments and stories and trying to trap him in his words. The miracles he performed, that didn't mean anything. He performed miracles. You know, lame men getting up out of their beds, you know. Lazarus being raised from the dead. Just, just right outside the city over in, in Bethany. Uh, all of these miracles and it was being shed abroad. <clears throat> and these priests, the priesthood, the religious leaders did not want the people to follow Jesus as a Messiah because they wanted them to look to us, to me, yes. You know, we, we're the leadership, we're the spiritual leadership, scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees. The Sadducees were more conservative. They believed in the resurrection, but they were rascals. The Sadducees didn't hardly believe in anything. They didn't believe in in resurrection. They just believed when you died, your spirit went, to, went up there someplace and whatever, you know. Some people got people got all kind of beliefs. They, they had a little faction between themselves. The scribes were the people who studied the word of God all the time. But if they didn't like a thing, they sort of had a way of pushing it aside and going for only for what they wanted to read. And the priesthood themselves simply wanted everything to be smooth and easy, just like it was. Let the Romans run the everything and let us have our place in the sun. And that's the way they pretty well wanted. And that's the way they, Sister Barbara, good to see you back. God bless you. Amen. Good to see you back from out west. Praise the Lord. Let me move on here because this is a very interesting thing. The Lord put these people all to rest. Every time he would defeat one of them in an argument, they'd walk away. Then another crowd would come and they'd take him on. Finally, when he was all through with them, finally, this is what it says here in chapter 23. And look at this. Verse 13 but woe unto you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men for you need to go in yourselves neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in and he starts naming woe just like isaiah did over in that 10th chapter and first verse woe unto you you do this and you do that it was a prophecy about what they would be doing when jesus would come and so when jesus was all through with them he said woe unto you you do this And there are eight woes that are mentioned here. Look at 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. He pronounces these woes. Verse 15, woe unto you, scribes. Verse 16, woe unto you, blind guides. Verse 23, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And he goes down the line, I mean, blasting these guys, telling them that they are, that they are not even worthy to be there. And he, just, he condemns them all and speaks about it, talks about their judgment. And this ties in with Isaiah 10, where he says, woe unto you, because he says that you, you take the widows' houses, uh, you steal from the orphanage, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the fatherless, he called them, the fatherless and uh you steal from this or that and everything and he condemns them from all these things you don't give justice whenever people say they're poor therefore they go before the judge the judge would you please hear my call the judge said oh you don't have no money get out of here i'm not going to hear your call only the rich he's going to judge and decide who gets what and so forth and the poor just goes without and it's a condemnation that Jesus pronounced upon them. And he goes right on down through all of 26 here. Woe, verse 25, verse 27, woe unto your scribes. Verse 29, woe unto your scribes. Eight woes that he pronounces on all these people. And finally, he comes right on down here. He gets to verse 36, very last end unto you. Uh, all these things shall come upon this generation. He said, woe unto you for this shall happen, that shall happen, that shall happen. All because they would not receive Jesus when he came, the Messiah. Now you say, Brother Myers, why are you seeing all of this? I'm seeing all of this because whenever Jesus uh, went away, praise the Lord, he shifted the grace of God away from Israel. Your house is left unto you desolate. I'm going to show you some scripture in that for just a minute, but he shifted that grace of God to us Gentiles, us Gentiles. Praise the Lord! It never happened. He said, "I've come to the lost household of, of Israel." That's when that Syrophoenician woman said, "Lord, come heal my man." He said, "You know, is it meet for me to take, to get food and give it to the dogs when I've come to bring it to the children? I've come to the lost household of Israel." But Jesus said, the woman said, We dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table, and he said, I have not seen so faith like this in all of Israel. Go, thy daughter is healed. And she she got her healing. But Jesus' earthly ministry was to the was to Israel. And he loved Israel, and he came down to the very end of his ministry. And he wept over the city. And he condemned those Pharisees and those Sadducees and those, those religious hypocrites of that day. And that's, that was the religious leaders, but also the political leaders, all of them. They're all in the same pile. And I'm just telling you here today, folks, that you and I need to hold fast to the Lord. There's some things coming on the, world, on the earth, it is. It's coming on the earth. And sometimes I, 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 what I know touches my heart. And I say, God, don't let any of your people be lost. Don't let us ever get our eyes on this world and get our eyes on the way things are to think it'll always be that way. It'll always be that way. There's a scripture in the Bible where Paul says, Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world. Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world. It doesn't say it in the scriptures, but I know in history, by reading history, I've read the the Demas when he left Paul, he used to travel with Paul and they preached together and ministered, and he saw some tough times, you know, and and they went through some persecution. Finally, Demas gave it all up. And he went to the city of Thessalonica. Thessalonica is what it's called today, Thessalonica. And Nike is another way to say it. He went to the city of Thessalonica, which is today the second largest city in Greece. And uh, he went there and got into politics he got into that world demons have to let, having loved this present world and he went there and got into politics and spent the rest of his life and died. when i was in thessaloniki several years ago with my son we were there and we went into the middle of the heart of the city and the old city was there what happens is that the new city is up high and it's black like by like up to that window up that window level and then it's dug down and far about Two city blocks has all been dug down and there's the old city. You walk down the steps and you get out here and you're where the old city was when Paul was there and when Demas was there. And we walked around through this cobble and I was walking around just looking at it thinking, man, this is the same cobblestones that Paul walked on when he came here to minister. And that scripture came to me. Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world and I knew he went to this city. And I stopped dead in my tracks. My son was way over on the other side over there walking around, just looking and thinking it's something that you, you just can't get away from that easily. I stopped and I said out loud, Demas, you gave it all up for this? I mean, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm looking at it. And it's stone. And there's little bricks, there's foundation level. You can see the foundation of old buildings. That's all that's left, there's nothing there. And this is what he gave up heaven and eternal life and all the things that Jesus has for us, for this. And I'm gonna say this to all of us here today, don't give up anything for Jesus. He is worth it all. I don't care what anybody comes along and offers you and says, this is better, this is good, this is where it's going, this is the direction it's going. Blah, 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 blah. You can get rich. You can get so rich, you don't don't know what to do with it all. There's some people so rich, they don't know what to do with all their money. They don't don't even, they got people trying to figure out what to do with it. How to invest it, how to keep from losing it, you know. It just goes on and on and on. Everything. And then one day, they die. One day, they're going to go. That money doesn't, they don't take it with them. There's no Brinks, there's no Brinks trucks at a funeral procession. I've never seen one. You won't see one. You don't take it with you. You can put it in gold. You can put it in silver. You can put it in, in stocks and bonds. One day it'll all be gone. And it may be gone before you go, before you pass it from this life to the other. I'm just saying, don't give up anything for Jesus Christ. The Lord came, praise the Lord, and he said, Israel, I wanted to give you this. Man, this was your visitation. And I'm here. And I want to save you. But you would not. You didn't want to hear it. And they rejected the Lord. And the Lord said, all I can say is to your woe, unto your woe, unto your woe. And this is going to happen, that's going to happen. He goes down the line and he pronounces all the things that would happen. I'm going to jump over here to to Luke 21 very quickly. And uh, let me read this verse of scripture here. This is where Jesus talks. Luke 21, uh, 20. This is just the next chapter over from where I was reading there in Luke. and uh, I think it was 19. I've jumped uh, tw- 19 and was two chapters over? 21:20. Look at this. This is Jesus now still speaking. This is still that Mount of Olives dissertation that he's giving to the to the, to Israel. I've talked to you more about this, but look what it says here. They had asked him, "When will this temple be destroyed?" Jesus said to him, "That this temple will be destroyed." They said, Oh, look how great the temple is. He said, Oh, there's not one stone shall be left upon another. All this is going to be destroyed. Verse 20, he said, When you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. And that happened. That happened. It started happening around uh, 69 AD, This is about, about 39 years after Jesus' ministry. When you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that desolation ever is nigh. Then let them which are in the Judea flee to the mountains and let them which are in the midst depart not out. And let not them which are in the countries enter thereunto. <coughs> and when that happened, when it really did happen, the Christians all got out of Jerusalem. It's all in history. They, they left from there. They went to a city that's over across the Jordan River. Up the coast, uh, a ways that was uh, in what's today is part of Jordan. Let me finish reading here because my time is running out. And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in the Judah flee to the mountains. Let them which are in the midst of depart out. Let them which are in the countryside flee there. Verse 22. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. He's talking about Daniel. Daniel prophesied about it. He's talking about Isaiah uh, and so forth. And and Ezekiel and also uh, Jeremiah. Verse 23, but woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people, that's Israel. And they, the Israel, shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And folks, that's exactly what happened in 70 AD. When Jesus was resurrected, when he rose from the dead, amen, he gave the new command. And he said to the children, he said to his disciples, and this is recorded in Matthew and also in, in the Mark. Uh, Mark, uh, let me give you a couple of verses of scripture, maybe if I got it here close. Uh, where that they, he said, go ye in all the world, preach the gospel. I don't have any hand here. But he said, go ye in all the world, preach the gospel. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Uh, he, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. These scriptures were all prophesied. Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. Now you go and you preach to the Gentile world. The Jews lost it. They had it in their day of visitation. Now, that word that whenever the Lord shall visit them is found in, in Mark, pardon me, and in, uh, in Jeremiah alone is found about eight to ten times the word visitation. Found all through that Old Testament. It's about 15 times the scriptures found that your visitation. And I can just tell you, and all of it is not always about Israel, it's about the Gentiles as well. And you know, let me just say this, folks that I think that we're coming nigh unto our visitation. I think the Lord's coming is very much at hand. I think America is in serious trouble. I saw something on TV the other day where they were discussing the big discussion going on are the american young men losing their masculinity losing their masculinity can you believe that a discussion on television about the young american male losing his his masculinity becoming too feminine effeminate that the bible talks about that You know, God made men to be men. He made women to be women. Praise the Lord. That's the difference there. Not that we all blend together and be, you know, all the same. And there's a reason for that. Praise the Lord. But I go beyond all of that and say this, that all the sin and debauchery and all that stuff. Forget God. We don't need God. Who is God? Where is God? All that boastful talking, that arrogancy and stuff like that. God is gonna visit us. He's gonna visit us, folks. And I feel like that it's gonna be long. And if you're a child of God, and you love God, and you walk with the Lord, I want you to know, praise the Lord, God is on your side. He's your friend, he'll be with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you, but, lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world, he said. And one of these days, Jesus is coming back for his church. It may be this 2019, you never know. It may be this year, praise God. But aren't you glad you know the Lord this morning? Try to get everybody you can saved. Get them into the church. Say, look, I want you to go to the house of God with. Let's stand together and praise him. Let's just thank him. Praise God. Oh, Lord, we love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings, your goodness, your love, your mercy, your kindness to us. We love you for all things, Lord. Thank you for the privilege to know you, to walk with you, God, and to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray.